Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to violence, the word and the act. While violence cloaks itself in a plethora of disguises, its favorite mantle still remains sex. Violence devours all it touches. Its, its voracious, voracious appetite rarely fulfilled. Yet violence, violence doesn't, doesn't destroy. only destroy, it creates, it creates and molds as well. I mean, this is, this, is the, this is the foundations of everything Quentin Tarantino did. That's Noel Hansen, our in-house movie expert. You may remember him when we talked about Tommy Wiseau's The Room. At the end of that conversation, he mentioned Russ Meyer's Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, a 1965 exploitation flick. Like Wiseau's work, Meyer's films are different. They fly under the radar of popular cinema. But for movie buffs, there's something about Faster Pussycat that just works. When I first saw it, it was, to me, it was, it was so, so punk rock. You know, it sounds like, it, it looks like Mud Honey sounds. You know, just freaking raw and, and a blast. I can watch it. I watched it earlier today. And immediately from the first five minutes, I was excited. I was fun. It, it gets me going. And a lot of those movies, if, especially a B movie, you want it to bring you somewhere. Uh, you know, the, the, any of the Dario Argentos, they're not about the story. It's about the ride. And uh, Russ Meyer understands a lot of that. And he knows what people like. And the way it's cut, especially the first part of the movie with the, the monologue going, and then you see the go-go dancer, and then the guy going like, yeah, faster, the go-go dancer. It's all action, action, action. In part, that's what makes the movie good. It lets you experience things you usually don't get to see. In 1965 or 2018, Faster Pussycat's a vehicle into not only why we enjoy movies, but also how society operates at large. It goes to show you, even B-movies can teach you something about the outside world. Faster Pussycat isn't complicated by design. It follows the journey of three 60s go-go dancers, Billy, Rose, and Varla, as they race their cars through the California desert. What makes the movie complicated is how it goes from fistfights, to murder, to kidnapping, to robbery, all within the first 20 minutes. For the most part, that's the point of exploitation films, to exploit social taboos. Movies like Faster Pussycat align themselves with others like Foxy Brown and The Big Dollhouse as a way to experience everything society represses. Sex, violence, drugs, nudity, you name it, it touches on all of those. Even to this day, some people haven't forgot about Meyer. I, before I was here, I, I was at my parents' house and we were grilling out burgers and they asked me what I was going to go do and I was, I am not ashamed and I said, I'm, I'm doing a podcast on Russ Meyer and my, my 81-year-old stepfather said, the nudie movie guy, you know, and it's like, yeah, I don't think there's really a lot of nudity and there's a lot of cleavage. He's like, that counts. With nine movies under his belt by 1965, Meyer wasn't a novice director. The technical prowess of Faster Pussycat rose the bar for B-movies. He even got some unlikely allies, including Roger Ebert, who later collaborated with him. Ebert summarizes Meyer's success with Faster Pussycat. He does so within a frantic style of quick editing, exuberant action, pop and comic book imagery, and the dialogue seems phoned in from another universe. These qualities haven't gone unnoticed. Again, Noel. He went to World War II to get all the experience he could, and it shows in his movies. You could put his, you could put, especially uh, Faster Pussycat, put that against a lot of the action movies from that time period, and with no money, he made, 
you know, very exciting movies by catching the line, catching the look, and then moving to something else, keeping it moving, keeping the action flowing, you know, where he doesn't have in budget, he has to do in, in the camera angle and the cut and, and then, you know, uh, the exciting music behind it. Uh, it's very driven. And uh, like I said, with the, the way that he does his dialogue short and right on them, it keeps it like they're speaking to you. Or I always felt like the, 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 like I was being taught a lesson, but you don't know what the lesson is by the end of half of his movies. But it felt like he at least intended there's, there was a lesson or the way that, you know, he drew you in. It's just shot so well. And a lot of those movies aren't. You know, the high energy, the, the music that he has in the background, the, the very go-go dancer cocktail, hi-hat or, or ride, up, upbeat horn music is just pushing you know, the boundary at, at, at an angle the whole time. For Noel and others, movies like these encompass what makes films great. In fact, Meyer's work has woven itself into popular culture. The Simpsons, Pee Wee Herman, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they all have dropped subtle nods to the film. Meyer's influence is most visible in music. With his three films, Mud Honey, Motor Psycho, and Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, all becoming names for bands. It's not a big deal if you haven't heard of Meyer's work. We're talking about references that are so subtle that they have to be pointed out. Even then, some are debatable. Take me for example. I didn't realize a childhood favorite, White Zombies Thunderkiss 65, samples Faster Pussycat. This phenomenon also involves my colleague Matt Gundrum in his standby, Quasimodo's The Unseen. Watching the first, like, minute and a half, and I was immediately spellbound because in one of my favorite hip-hop albums of all time, The Unseen by Quasimodo, they reference that monologue in the beginning in the first song of that record. So it's, you know, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to violence. And when I heard that, my brain, my brain thought I was listening to The Unseen by Quasimodo. So that got me really interested in it. And then... Here I am getting super engaged in the, in the movie through this monologue I've heard a million times to the Quasimodo record, and immediately it cuts to these gyrating go-go dancers, and I am just thrown into this world of total confusion and hysteria. And uh, and then I, t- I, I turned it off because I was like, this is I need to like set up my me- mindset for this a little bit more. Matt isn't the only person new to the movie. Tina Hanley, who managed record and movie store for a decade, had only heard about the film in passing. Once she watched the whole movie, her reaction kind of criticizes and applauds Meyer's work as a whole. But I honestly had never seen the whole movie until um, you had talked to me about it. Um, initially, it was <laughs> it was a little it was a little jarring, not not in a like a shocking sort of way, but in sort of like a comical sort of way. It was I was like, okay, this is. It's a it's a little bit ridiculous now. I mean, I can see like at the time how it would have been all sorts of things, including shocking. The film doesn't push cultural values in 2018 as it could have in 1965. Looking at the movie as a whole, the film's main characters aren't the standard representation of women in the 60s. These are tough and powerful women who take what they want, when they want, no matter who has it. 
Some people can argue that Meyer's representation of women is the most complicated aspect of the film, especially if you consider Meyer, who's recognized as the godfather of softcore pornography. Noted feminist and new queer cinema scholar B. Ruby Rich switched sides on the topic. After first viewing Faster Pussycat in the early 70s, she was absolutely outraged by the movie's objectification of women, even explaining how the film was just short of softcore porn. But when she revisited the film in the 90s, she grew to love the movie, even featuring it in a festival called Scary Women, where it was paired with Basic Instinct. As Tina points out, the basic things the main characters do are what some people today take for granted. You really get a sense of feel of their escape. I mean, these women driving their own cars, not their boyfriend's cars. These were their cars that they drove and they liked driving and they liked driving fast. You know, things that that a lot of women in the 60s, fresh out of the 50s, would not have really enjoyed doing um, on their own or even with their boyfriends sometimes. <laughs> um, so I just, I you know, I can see how there were, were parts of it, like, you know, if you kind of put yourself in the context of the times it was made in, it probably made a lot, some people very angry and upset and others very inspired and impressed. To a point, there isn't a situation where Billy, Rose, or Varla aren't in complete control. Protagonist or antagonist, these women are unstoppable forces in a world of immovable expectations. They're essentially Schwarzenegger or Stallone, except they can beat their opponents without steroids. Matt points out how this is a highlight of the film. In just about every scene, they are they are conquering and they are rule like any male character in this movie is getting their ass kicked by these women. And in 2018, that's I'm sure people would find that pretty cool. Just the fact that these women are just beating up dudes and dudes aren't able to do anything. Like one of the buffest guys in the movie who is seen military pressing in this one scene as this one chick is trying to seduce him and he just doesn't give a fuck. I mean, he's overtaken by these women too. Like no one can stand a chance. At its core, Faster Pussycat is an exploitation film that examines the extremes of social values. In 1965, movie couples slept in different beds. So having three single women being not only sexual, but also openly independent, could have attracted some criticism. As Matt and Tina suggest, it makes the movie solvent. One part of this movie that I think would fare well is the way that women are portrayed and in, in that they're, they're taking control of every situation that they're in and they're conquering every situation that they're in. And then what Russ Meyer does with this movie, he he just launches you right into it. So you go, you see the, the strippers and you hear the go baby go and it's just so ridiculous. And then you're thrown into this next scene and they're racing and they're fighting and you have no idea what their relationship is and you you have so many questions and they're not really, some of them actually go unanswered for the whole movie. Some of them are answered a few minutes later. That first 10 minutes when they're dancing and then they're racing and then they're fighting, I just, I was so confused. Um, but he really does kind of establish who they are as characters in that, those first few scenes. Because in that first scene when they're dancing, they're obviously carefree, probably a little promiscuous, probably a little dirty, a little naughty. And then you see them racing and fighting and like punching each other's fucking faces in the sand. And then you go, oh, these chicks are pretty badass actually. Anytime you do that, you're you're looking at, you know, it's the extremes of things. So I don't think they could have done this movie at that time without the extremity of it. If it had been played down, it wouldn't it wouldn't have had the same effect, for one. Um, 
as far as like the impact um, on society at all. Um, but it also, it just, I don't think it would have, uh, played as well on screen either. You would have had a bunch of like mediocre women half apologizing for what they're doing and, but doing it anyway. And it just, it just wouldn't have played out as well. I don't think, I think they had to stretch that to an extreme. If Faster Pussycat pushed things to the extreme in 1965, well, how would it fare in 2018? It's not an easy question to answer. With sexuality and violence commonplace now, Tina suggests there's not much room for pushing boundaries. We're already, like, everything is is already at that point. Um, With, you know, our lives being you know, shared on, we're, we're constantly exploiting ourselves on a daily basis through social media. To go to an extreme now, you almost, you have to revert to like, uh, it's pretty, it, I guess it would have to be pretty extreme, like, like straight up just wrong. It looks, it looks bad. It doesn't look good now. Like, you know, you can definitely tell that, you know, these women were were treated poorly at their jobs and that they had to work these jobs in order to, you know, afford any sort of life for themselves. You could do it, but it would have to be pretty extreme because I feel like we're all a little bit more desensitized to stuff like that. Like boobs are, you know, that, that kind of cleavage is, is everywhere. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's, it's on basic television now. I mean, modern family, I'm sorry. Oh. You know, I mean her, she, she's basically, you know, Varla's boobs on NBC or whatever channel that's aired on. Of all of Meyer's work, Faster Pussycat may have the widest audience. Encouraging filmmakers to do their own thing, the movie became a blueprint for a generation that followed. As Noel suggests, not bad for a movie that was never expected to make it past the double feature circuit. It's probably PG-13 by, by ratings as of today. Uh, the wonderful thing about then is that's probably the, the um, it, it would be a, a James Dean movie for women in the, in the 60s with the, I don't know what I'm going to do and I'm not going to take any shit and this is the way it is. It is a very early blueprint in what Quentin Tarantino went on to, to masterpiece, the turning a B-movie idea into an A-movie presentation, uh, it's, except this one is B-movie all the way through. There's an unintended tragedy about Faster Pussycat. It's difficult to surprise people in 2018. With large breasts and in-your-face violence commonplace now, the shock value of 1965 may fall flat today. But even after 50 years, the movie isn't afraid to ask questions. And it offers new viewers like Matt an opportunity that few movies ever get a chance to. Maybe in another 50 years, it'll be a tragedy worth celebrating. The movie kind of tests you, you know? It's like, it's like absurdism. It shows you something incredibly absurd and kind of dares you to believe in it. Contained within the supple skin of woman. The softness is there, the unmistakable smell of female. The surface, shiny and silken, the body yielding yet wanton. But a word of caution, handle with care and don't drop your guard. This rapacious new breed prowls both alone and in packs, operating at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club.